So welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to another episode of the AB Sports Podcast. And um, it's the start of a brand new week. And um, we have got some very special guests uh, coming up uh, from the start of this week until the end of the week, which is brilliant. And uh, what better way to start off uh, the week uh, to be speaking to uh, a former England under 20s and 18s player. Uh, he's also played for Northampton Saints, Birmingham Mosley, uh, Extra Chiefs, Bedford Blues, uh, and he's now with Saracens and also plays international rugby for uh, the USA as well. Uh, it's brilliant to have him on, guys. It really is. Uh, please welcome to the podcast for the first time, Will Hooley. How are you, mate? Thanks very much. It sounds like a big round of applause should be followed after that, doesn't it? <laughs> the way you've introduced me there. I'm uh, very touched. No, I'm very good. Thank you, Ali. And um, thanks for having me on. Well, it's, it's a real pleasure, mate. Um, it really is. I think you are the first uh, USA player on the podcast uh, from the men's background that is. So um, big thank you for coming on and taking some time out of your busy schedule to come and speak to us. Uh, I think I'm probably the one that doesn't come with the accent though. That's probably your, uh, <laughs> probably frustration. You probably wanted to hear a di- deep Texan twang, but no, look, my, my, uh, my heritage to, towards the US is through my grandmother. Uh, very, so for me and my family, it's obviously very proud to represent America and, yeah, as I say, may not have the accent to come with it, but um, still very proud nonetheless. Um, well, we, we've got um, loads to talk about. Um, and I saw earlier and I thought it was uh, fantastic news. And you put it on your Instagram and um, it was off another uh, Instagram page as well, that you are now a part of uh, Lucets as an ambassador. So congratulations on that. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, it's massive. I, I, I'm, to be honest, it's... Um, uh, I'm hugely privileged and, and honoured to be part of Lucids. Um And I think not just the whole uh, campaign that they run, the tackling um, tackling the stigma of sort of mental health, how we how we view it and how we need to have conversation about it, particularly within the rugby clubs, that kind of macho environment that rugby players feel like, whether you're a professional or community player, you know, I still, I still think there's the element that, you know, mental health is weakness or, or, or if you're suffering in silence, you don't want to talk about it. And I'm, you know, I've maybe experienced it myself a little bit uh, in terms of feeling those ups and downs, but also uh, particularly recently having heard some some pretty tragic news as well of, uh, of uh, a certain individual who I knew reasonably well, um, who literally went to, to the extreme and, and took his life. And I just think I couldn't have been more driven to be part of a wonderful charity an organisation that, that Loose Heads is and, and ultimately going after that message of, of mental health and trying to really push it out there and, and making it a positive thing for people to talk about and, and changing everyone's sort of mental well-being for the, for the better, for the positive. Yeah, um, and uh, I'm also part of Loose Heads as, a, as an academy ambassador as well. So um, it's great to have you part of the part of the movement going forward and, and being a part of the group, etc. So um so yeah very exciting news uh for yourself and and uh many others who are watching this probably for the first time thinking right we got to get ourselves involved with that as well <laughs> so uh, yeah no it's great it's a great organization as i say i think it's been uh running incredibly well over the last few years but probably is particularly picked up in the last sort of you know with this pandemic we're in because it couldn't be more poignant um you know the world we live in at the moment people are suffering their own individual battles and, 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 you know, with COVID-19 and not being able to get out and not be able to see friends, whatever it might be, you know, we've got to pull together. We've got to talk. And, and as I say, try and, and paint mental health 
in a in a sort of positive uh, way, but as positive as possible. Uh, understanding that the, the obviously it's it's a hard, you know, rough with the smooth. So um, yeah, really for me, honoured to be on board. Um, how did it all start? Basically, did Rob get in touch with you about uh, wanting to be a part of the loose heads, or did you see it yourself for the first time? How did it all happen? I think for me, loose heads. I've known for a, for a I guess a few years and followed them on social media and. Um, and uh, I had briefly spoken to Rob here and there. And as I say, unfortunately, there was some very tragic um, news that came about in, in uh, for a mentor and a coach of mine uh, in my youth who, um, yeah, who the best way to describe it, he took his own life. And, um, and that happened fairly recently. And I remember just sort of reaching out to, to Rob and, and it was at the moment when Loose Heads were talking about their how are you, how are you really campaign. And... I was just sort of talking to him uh, or got a conversation going. Um, and I just kind of said to Rob, I said, Rob, this couldn't be more, as I say, poignant at that time. I literally had experienced something, um, you know, I, I couldn't believe. I thought this sort of stuff happens in movies, right? You know, in terms of uh, that kind of mental health and, you know, um, taking of life. And and it really was that kind of massive, um, I don't want to say turning point because, I'd always really gauge with mental health, as I say, for me personally, whether it be my performance on the pitch, stuff off the field as well, um, knowing just how important it can be and how like we can, I admit, you know, have absolutely have my ups and downs. But as I say, it was that particular moment and me and Rob would start talking and he just said, look, well, with your, with your profile, particularly going out with it in, in the US as well, you know, we want to grow this awareness more throughout rugby clubs, you know, not just in the UK, but worldwide. And, I, I couldn't, as I say, I couldn't, it couldn't have been an easier decision for me than to say yes to him. Um, and I always think when it comes to being like an ambassador and part of a charity, you've really got to have a passion within it as well. And in, in a way, negatively, or should I say in, um, you know, an unfortunate circumstance, I actually now have that passion, you know, um, that really, I believe I want to do something about this and I want to help. Yeah. I'm pretty much in the same boat as you, mate, because when I, I first saw it for the first time and I was like, right, I've got to be, I've got to be a part of this. No question uh, about it. So, and I know quite a lot of people actually who are close friends of mine uh, that suffer from mental health issues, et cetera. So, um, and uh, for me personally, when I was growing up as well, I, I suffered, you know, several mental health issues myself as well. So, and that's why I wanted to become uh, an ambassador myself, an academy ambassador. So, um, and when Rob uh, came back and said, "Yeah, we'd be we'd be honoured to have you back, uh, on the on the program, so to speak," uh, it was just great news for myself and uh, going forward. So, um, so big shout out to Rob and the rest of the Looseheads team watching. Yeah, this. absolutely, um, absolutely so, indeed. Um, but honestly, they're great. And uh, I saw Rob's interview that he did on BT uh, Sport the other day as well he was like he wrote on twitter and he was like oh i'm so glad it's like finally over after like 15 minutes or so having spoken to him a little bit this morning i think he yeah he was um uh a lot of nerves uh, mm. but i thought he uh, you know brilliant and, and delivered a, you know once again um uh, great messages across and um i think you know loose heads now is really becoming a campaign that the people are getting behind and i think in rugby people are recognizing uh, massively i think the posts are, are quite an iconic symbol um so you know may their work continue and you know the likes of uh, 
myself, yourself, um, will obviously look to push, push the message and, and help, of course, tackle um, the stigma of mental health. Yeah, it's so important to get that message, you know, across globally, not just within the UK and um, other parts of the of the world as well. So, um, and uh, yeah, so important for everybody to support each other, especially during COVID, because COVID has hit a lot of people um, hard, and you know, there a lot of people are suffering because of this. So, um, but uh, yeah, just trying to encourage, encourage each other and support each other um, through these tough times. But um, I mean, how how have you been keeping? Obviously with COVID happening and, you know, several places getting locked down a few times. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people around the country. And I've mentioned it on other podcasts before, not being able to play a lot of rugby this season. And uh, they might have had like a few train sessions, a few training games, so to speak, uh, for maybe one or two months. But apart from that, not really much has happened. But um, what about yourself? How are you keeping busy during uh, COVID? It's been it's been a mad year, hasn't it? I mean, that's to state the obvious. Um, uh, I think you know, being here at Saracens, I, I'm in, in fortunate, very fortunate, a very lucky position as, as a professional athlete to to ultimately have my life not turned around too much or turned upside down, I should say. Um, you know, we we are able to go to training, we're able to be as a group, uh, and those things, uh, you know. Uh, we, we really shouldn't take for granted because as I say, there's plenty of people just sort of working at home, staying indoors, having to shelter and, and, and that must be incredibly tough. So I feel very lucky, but at the same time, it, it hasn't been the usual rugby season. Um, we've had a year literally of kind of two leagues into one playing in the premiership uh, kind of in, in, in August up until October. Uh, and then we had a bit of time off, but then another preseason, um, preseason games, uh, competition, and now we're in into the championship, and yeah, it does feel very, very odd. You know, we're sat here, and what is it coming to the end of March? And we've actually only recently just started a, a championship season, um, which is strange. It's a quick fire competition, um, and um, you know, I think for everyone you know, at the club, we're obviously very much sort of focused on week after week and wanting to win those games. Obviously, the goal is to to be promoted back into the Premiership. So. Yeah, it's been a really odd year. Um, and as I say, uh, I, I just keep reminding myself how lucky I have been. Um, there was some tough times, training at home, obviously, the home workouts back in the day of, what was it, lockdown volume one, whatever you yeah. want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it was kind of that feeling of like, you know, what, what's going to happen next? Um, there were elements which I also really enjoyed. You know, I was at home, my partner, my dog, sun was shining back last spring and you know, doing home workouts or going on runs, it felt like you're quite free to sort of take control of your own schedule. But then for us rugby players, I'm not going to lie, you rely on schedule. You rely on being told what to do, where to be, what to eat, whatever it might be. And yeah, after a while, I was desperate to get back. And so I think when we got back into the pre-season at Saris, it was, it was June time. And um, yeah, fortunately, uh, back with the lads and being with the team ever since then. Now, of course, you joined Saracens uh, last year, uh, if I'm correct in saying. Um, and uh, I must imagine, you know, not just with yourself, but for the rest of the boys as well, uh, getting that news that you guys will be obviously relegated at the end of last season, uh, going into the championship now. Um, I must imagine that all the boys were obviously feeling very gutted about that, uh, very disappointed to hear that. Um, but, I mean, it's two very different competitions, isn't it? To be fair, 
Yeah, but look, you know, it's I, I can't comment about obviously that that feeling because I wasn't at the club when obviously, um, unfortunately, things came out uh, in regards to the salary cap and decisions were made and punishments were given out. Um, but um, yeah, look, I think the club's going through a period of, of transformation um, naturally, right? I mean, uh, you go from the Premiership to the Championship, it is uh, it's a different kettle of fish and. And likewise, going back up to the Premiership. If there's one thing we've learned, though, uh, and I have had Championship rugby experiences, it's a very tough league, and there's some very good players. And actually, the thing which I think maybe as a, as a team we've realised is, yes, you can have the skill, maybe even the talent, but when it comes to ultimately some of the the attitude and determination, I mean, every team in this in, in the Championship is going to want to beat Saracens. It's going to be like the Cup final for for everyone. Um, we understand that, and as I say, I think it probably took a bit of time to get to that understanding. But ultimately, um, it's a very tough league, as I say, and, and each week is going to have its own separate challenges. And you can't think into the future as to playoffs and getting back to the Premiership. It really is about dealing with it in the here and now. And of course, um, obviously, a lot of the guys from the Saracens team were on England duty uh, during the Six Nations. Um, including Captain Owen Farrell. Um, and you've sort of, I guess, during that time when, you know, Owen and the rest of the boys have been away with England, you've then sort of got more game time under your belt in that 10 jersey for Saracens. So, um, I mean, how how is your time going with Saracens at the moment compared to uh, the other clubs that you've played with uh, before in the past? Yeah, look, it's, it's been great. It's been challenging, uh, you know, uh, for me, um, playing either at fly-off or at fullback. Um, to be honest, wherever it is on the pitch, I don't mind. Uh, it's just about getting on there. Um, as I say, it, I think the, the the hardest thing has been this, how sporadic games have been. As I say, we went from this great little premiership campaign, coming back from uh, um, the summer and, and getting into it and finishing the season. Uh, as I say, the back end of last summer and the beginning of the spring, uh, beginning of autumn. Uh, but then you have, we had a break. We weren't really sure when the championship was going to begin. We managed to have obviously kind of pre-season games which were great to be part of and great to, to get your teeth stuck into but then again we were still waiting you're waiting for when the championship's going to start so look you know did I did I sign up to think that I'd be you know at Saracens with the situation as it is probably not but I mean no one did so you kind of just have to get on with it and like I say I, I feel very blessed to be playing um, and I feel great uh, to be part of an organisation such as Saracens um, it's uh, been hugely beneficial to me so yeah, look, it's um, yeah, it's been tough, but the games have obviously, you know, started to come through, and we're into the championship now, and and hopefully uh, want to kick on each week. Yeah, it's it's taking each game uh, week by week, I guess, uh, for all mm. the boys, because I mean that's what you hear a lot from a lot of teams and a lot of coaches and players, etc., that they always you know take one game at a time and not try to focus too much on what lies ahead in the coming months, but um, yeah, just taking each each game by game and and um, doing the best you can uh, come game day as well. Yeah, no, indeed. And it's got to be like that because I think if you if you focus too far ahead in terms of what's going to be what, you know, when uh, you've obviously got promotion uh, in the back of people's minds, it can be dangerous because you end up, you know, not taking care of what's in front of you. And like I say, each team have their own challenge, whether it's Cornish Pirates, whether it's Richmond, whether it's Bedford Blues or Ealing, you know, everyone has their own different challenges. You've got to be ready each week. Yeah, for sure. Um, I completely agree. That's the sort of thing that my coach uh, brought me up when I was younger. Uh, just saying that thing from time to time. Um, 
taking it slowly, not too quickly, I guess, in that respect. Absolutely. So, um, but um, anyway, we we talked about um, obviously your your position, your main position now as a as a fly half, and you also mentioned that you've played at fullback as well. Um, have there been any other positions that you've played before you sort of reached those two positions, whether that's been at, at youth level or um, even, you know, junior time in the premiership and, and, uh, and, uh, and the premiership, sorry, did I mention premiership? Yeah, I did. Uh, and the, um, and championship as well. I mean, have there been any other sort of positions that you've played apart from those two? Uh, to be honest, not not massively. I, I look. I, I've played a little bit in the centres as well. I probably don't have the the the, the right bulk for the centres these days. And the modern rugby, modern rugby now is you know your centres are pretty much like back rowers. Um, but um, look, yeah, I mean, I've even jumped in at nine when I remember I scrum off uh, Lee Dixon at Bedford Blues. I think he got sent off or something, uh, and I managed to jump in there for ten minutes. And I like to think did okay kind of knew what I was doing, although I don't think I put the ball correctly into the scrum. I think that my hooker was very annoyed at me that I sort of bulleted it into his legs. Yeah. Um, but look, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's one of those things where you, you don't want to maybe play loads of positions in the professional game because then you're almost too versatile in a way that then you don't actually go niche into one, And if, if that makes sense. But I also do believe it's important that you can play in at least a couple of positions um, as I say, for me, I'm just looking to get onto the pitch and, and be playing. And, you know, that's been brilliant for me to not just pl play at 10, but also at 15, particularly in the last few, few years, finding my feet at 15. I think when I first played that position at fullback, I was very aware, like, you know, but Jason Robinson plays his position, you know, his dancing feet and acceleration. That's not my game. That's not my attributes, really. You know, I don't have that footwork or whatever that uh, someone of, Robinson might obviously possessed, but maybe I actually can use my attributes in a different way, you know, being the playmaker, um, using my kicking game, being strong in the air and, and actually making the position your own and not worrying about maybe this kind of like blueprint you think a fullback should be. And I've massively learned that and, and I've really tried to develop what I am good at, not, but also obviously the things I need to work on. Um, because obviously as a, making it as a player, you, you want to try and be the best that you can be. And, and show the best attributes that you can give. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, what what, did, um, what stage of your career did you think to yourself, right, I, I want to play as a 10 and as, as a 15? What sort of stage in your career did that happen at? Well, I was always a 10, um, you know, and, and, and still probably am uh, always a 10. I do like playing that position. I like getting my hands on the ball. Um, I like being the kind of cog of the wheel, um, you know, not in an egotistic way, but I do like trying to be the boss. And and I think naturally when you have that throughout the years, um, to go away from 10 can sometimes be a bit frustrating because you just want to be involved so much. But I think, as I say, well, I first played at fullback. Uh, I, I played at fullback in the Premiership when I was at Northampton, when I was at Exeter. Um, but then I probably particularly played in the role for the USA um i remember my backs coach actually coming up to me in the summer tour and he just said look i, I really want to see you at fullback uh for this tour um yeah myself and sale sharks fly half aj mcginty like see how we would work sort of two tens on the pitch and i think it, it it well it evidently did work pretty well and and i managed to sort of gain confidence in that position and kind of not really look back and that was kind of 2018 and and um you know 
I played 10 a lot still for my club when I was at Bedford Blues. Um, obviously, when I was at Exeter Chiefs as well before that. Um, but then actually at Saracens, they, they've kind of used me in that fullback position as well, um, which I've really enjoyed. And, and like I say, I, I, I try and make it uh, the position uh, my own and, and, and not try and, you know, try and do the same as uh, Anthony Watson or, uh, or or even like an Elliot Daly, for example. They're their own players and, and ultimately I've got to try and be my own player too. Absolutely. I guess the good thing about the position that you're playing in at the moment as a standoff is that you get to see a lot of the field. You get to see a lot of options around you uh, and you can make a decision in plenty of time as well uh, for the rest of your backs or even for your forwards as well if they decide to either, you know, do pick and goes or... Um, you know, off line outs, etc. So um, I guess that's one of the good things that uh, you have as a 10 in that position. Yeah, for sure. But I also think, you know, you get that at 15 as well. And in fact, actually playing both positions, it's, I find whenever I play fullback, I'm, I'm naturally probably thinking about well, what would my 10 want from me? You know, you know, I can see the field and got more time, probably, probably way more time than the fly half. Equally, if I'm fly half, you know, what am I expecting from my 15 my, or my back, backfield players because I want them to help me. Um, so I, I, you really try and sort of gauge with both, both positions and, and try and sort of play them off on each other uh, to help whether you're playing a fly half or whether you're playing a fullback. So, yeah, you definitely obviously have that sort of enjoyment, I want to say, that, that kind of when you can just sit back and see things. Obviously, the best players in the world, like someone like Owen Farrell, he sees things which frankly, none of us human beings do see, um, you know, and, and that's obviously his understanding, which is makes him world-class. And, and that's certainly something which I'm, you know, still working on myself. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's, um, you know, you've, you've got a, a really good squad around you, really good teammates to be playing with uh, week in and week out at, at this stage. Um, so I guess it's good, you know, learning from loads of guys and um, especially the likes of Mark McCall, who's, who's, sort of in, in charge of that coaching role within the within the management, I guess, uh, with the club. So um, must be a great, great club to be with at this stage, uh, you know, during COVID uh, as well. So, yeah, no, it is. It's a, it's a magnificent organisation and, and, and it's it's the stuff that you don't see as well. Um, I, I've been so impressed with whether it's the strength conditioners, the physios, um, just how it's structured and run. It's a very well-oiled machine. Uh, Saracens and, and I think you know it you well for me being in the var environment for not even that long in comparison to a lot of the, a lot of the guys you understand why they've been so successful um, and it really is the sort of togetherness that they've built um, at the club and, and that runs its way down as you say from Mark McCall right the way down to you know the academy manager um, and the academy players it's that kind of be belief as one of of being the best and getting the best um, out of everyone's potential. So, um, yeah, it's been brilliant for me to just be in this environment and learn. And I'm hoping that I can obviously then take that to, you know, when I go away with the USA or whatever it might be going forward um, to make me a better player in the team that, that I'm in playing for, make them better as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, now, um, I want to speak very quickly about obviously your time with England under 18s and 20s, um, you know, all those years ago. Um, how excited were you feeling uh, during that stage? Because obviously, you know, representing uh, any country on the biggest stage of them all is, is, must be such a huge honour and such a huge privilege to be a part of. Um, but how did, how did the co-op happen? What, did you know by text, email? I mean, what, 
what was the situation with that first? Gosh, we're going back a few years ago now. Uh, yeah, well, I remember England under 18s, I was still at school. Um, and I remember even, I, I played England under 16s as well. And I think it's changed a lot now from my day in terms of the system that you came through when it was school rugby, county rugby, regional rugby, trials for, for the north, trials for the south. And and it was, um, yeah, it, it was it, it was bizarre. I look back at it now and, and I kind of think, I'm not sure I agree with the setup <laughs> and how it was done. I think, um, you know, there was a lot of sort of talent missed. And I think maybe a lot of sort of people picked um, maybe because they were at a certain school than others, I'm going to be honest. Um, but no, the, the 18s, look, I was very, very lucky. Uh, our head coach was John Fletcher. Um, and John Fletcher, I think Fletch, he um, a few years ago slipped away from the RFU, but he was one of the best coaches I've ever worked with. He really was the, uh, he knew how to get the best out of players. And especially from a young age, the, the confidence that players under him had was, was immense. And, you know, I remember he was always a big believer in me. And I remember um, playing, I think my first, uh, what was it, kind of like the under 18, Six Nations back then. It was away in Dublin. Um, I remember two, a few things that in that Ireland game is one starting and, and, and I think did all right, which was good. And, and we actually played some really nice rugby. And then also I was also in a team with, you know, fantastic players, the likes of Anthony Watson, um, Jack Knoll, who I literally hadn't even heard anything about. And this guy literally rocks up at 15 um, and just, I mean, tore the game apart. He, he was outstanding, um, even at that age. Um, so yeah, that, that was, you know, certainly memories I have back of under 18s and then under twenties is kind of more sort of professional, you're, you're literally professional rugby players. Everyone's involved in premiership academies and whatever. And, um, because of my age, uh, because I'm born near the end of the year, I, I had to kind of compete with the guys the year above me. So school year wise. So my year was people like Henry Slade, Sam Hill, Jack Knoll, uh, Jack Clifford, uh, I mean, there was the, the list is endless. We had a very good under 20s year. We ended up winning the world championship in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, it was brilliant to be part of that. Massively, you know, improved me as a player. And I probably wish that I could have played under 20 rugby for as long as I could. <laughs> you know, it was, it was that fun. And, and you kind of just had that kind of belief and nothing mattered really. I mean, one of the things I would say about men's professional rugby at the top leagues is. It's, it's very result driven uh, and it's very sort of, you know, process driven as well. And sometimes maybe the, the, the enjoyment side of it can go, um, I would say. Meanwhile, that age grey rugby was, you know, yeah, it was kind of the be all or end all because you so wanted to play for, for your country. But it was also you just had fun and you literally would just go out there and express yourself. I was, I was just about to say that is some team that you've played with uh, in that 20 setup. Um, crazy uh, amount of talent there across the pitch. Uh, I won't mention it again, but there's been you know so many names in that team. Um, They're still doing well now as well. Um, so um, yeah, I don't blame you for wanting to go back there and, and play more of the twenties, you know, and, and be a part of that uh, for the long term. But uh, yeah, uh, that's one hell of a team. That really is one hell of a team. So well, very very lucky you could stay. Um, but it's interesting. I look at the back when I played sort of England sixties. Uh, and there's, there wasn't many people at all now who went on to play professional rugby. Meanwhile, there was something quite special of that 
sort of 18s and the 20s age group. Um, you know, a lot of guys have, have gone on and had professional careers and gone on to play for, for, you know, various sort of, I would say not even just for England, but we had Callum Braley. He was gone on to play for Italy. We had Ross Moriarty. He went on to play for Wales. Um, you name it, you know, Billy Burns obviously gone on to play for Ireland. Uh, and then a whole bunch of lads in there, obviously for England, the Brit British Lions. So, um, yeah, it was a very talented year and um, pretty privileged to be part of it. Do you um, obviously still try to keep in touch with these guys from time to time? Obviously, when because I know you play in a different squad compared to these guys um, who play for other clubs as well. But do you do you from time to time just keep uh, in contact with these guys and just make sure that they're doing well and, and keeping well? Yeah, that, I think it's more you know when you you sort of come across each other and on match days and and, and well pre-COVID got the chance to sit with them and after the game and have a chat or. You know, maybe it might be in, um, at various other points. Uh, I remember doing a sort of speed, a uh, bit of speed training uh, up in Loughborough before the World Cup. And Anthony Watson was up there um, training as well. And it was great to sort of catch up with him. I hadn't caught up with him in years. And then, of course, the the world of social media is, um, I think we all follow each other and, and uh, see how we're getting on. And, you know, I think for which is quite nice is, Obviously, they're, they're doing brilliantly, some of those guys now, but you always remember what they were like, you know, as the sort of 18, 19, 20-year-old when we were sort of messing around, and, you know, in hotels or wherever it might be. So, um, yeah, everyone's still very, I guess, humble on that front. And, and, I, and I do believe still very much keeping contact. That's good. That's very good to, to hear that because, you know, a lot of players, they sort of move on from that. You know, they, they, you know, they have their time with the guys and they, they enjoy the, each other's company. Uh, whether that's in the international stage or whether it's club, and then they sort of, I guess, move on from there. But uh, guys in your position, it's, it's very good to sort of keep in touch with, you know, close friends that you've you've probably played alongside for, you know, a good number of years now. So um, that's very important going forward, I guess. Yeah, no, of course. And I think it's, um, you know, one of the massive benefits of rugby is that we play a sport that has massive camaraderie around it and respect around it as well, whether you're, playing with your guys or against them uh you know obviously everyone wants to uh, win the game and, and be physical and all those sort of things but you know ultimately your, your mates um in many cases both on and off the field um so yeah we're, we're fortunate enough i think we play a sport that that naturally sort of i say togetherness and 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 being sort of in that friendship uh of playing rugby has always been the case um we mentioned, um, of course, Mark McCall, who's the uh, director of rugby at Saracens um, currently at the moment. Um, but you've also played under the likes of, uh, if we're talking club level specifically, you've been playing in, under the likes of Jim Mallander, Rob Baxter, um, and Mike Rare, I believe, at uh, Bedford Blues as well. Um, so my first question, if we split this into two questions, right? Uh, first question or part of the question is, um, what was it like playing under these guys uh, during your time, you know, when you played for Bedford, when you played for Northampton, uh, Exeter and so on. Um, and uh, secondly, I mean, what, what sort of things were they sort of telling you from time to time in terms of how, how you can improve your game uh, week in and week out? I think all those individuals uh, had their, their own way, you know, own way of leading, um, own way of, um, I guess could have creating an organization. I, I was very fortunate that in the, the time that I was in those organizations, we Northampton, we won the premiership in, in 2014. Being part of that squad was amazing. 
Um, unfortunately, I was injured in the year, so I didn't feel quite as part of it, but still very much part of it and played in the Premiership campaign with Exeter when we won it in 2017. Um, you know, and so they've, they've done a lot. Those guys have done things right, absolutely. Um, I think they all, as I say, I couldn't just pick out specific things. They do just genuinely come with their own individual sort of, um, sort of characteristics. And I think you you realise as well that the respect they have as well, players respect them massively. And again, I've only been in organisations, including obviously Bedford Blues, um, where there's been that respect. You know, you, you don't just have a director of rugby who's been in there for years and, and not sort of managed to gain that respect. Um, and I think also all those uh, DORs that I played under really sort of had, had a belief in the players as well. We were given that confidence. So, um, and then, hey, presto, you know, things were won and, and achievements were made. And, of course, I wanted to very, just very quickly talk about, um, you know, all the clubs that you've played for so far, you know, Northampton, there's been Exeter, Bedford, uh, Saracens, etc. And from what I could tell from your background is that you roughly played two or three seasons roughly with each team uh, prior to joining Saracens. So, um my question really is, is, is what sort of happened during that uh, period of time? Uh, you know, when you, when you got into the squads for the first time and then obviously you, you sort of, I guess, looked ahead to the future and see what lied ahead for yourself personally uh, in terms of your rugby uh, career moving forward. But what was it like um, from your perspective? Obviously, it was only two or three seasons and we see, we see players at clubs for, you know, such a long time. Um, but for yourself, I mean, what was it like during that period where you spent two or three seasons roughly with each team? Yeah, well, I think I, I came right the way through Northampton ever since the age of 12, um, mm. coming all the way through the academy into the first team uh, and then breaking through into the yeah breaking through into the first team and having some success there. And um, it would have been comfortable for me to stay at Northampton. And the reason that I decided that at the time was like to leave is you know, I just felt that I was in a position of, I was probably always going to be labelled as a kind of academy product. Um, and I probably wanted to really sort of kick on in my career. And this opportunity with Exeter came up. At a time when Exeter were kind of not the best, they, they were kind of mid-table team, but they were definitely on the rise. And they had plenty of young players, the likes of Henry Slade, Jack Noel, uh, Sam Hill, who I had played with before. So I had kind of mates there already. And it just made sense. I, I was just like, it, you know, speaking to my agent at the time, it was like, this was a good opportunity uh, and one that I should take. Um, and I don't regret it at all. I really don't regret it at all. I had a brilliant couple of years there. My first year was very, was very good um, playing in both European and European Cup and, and the Premiership. Um, unfortunately, my second year, I, I literally, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm making an excuse, but I picked up a bad head injury against Harlequins. I remember uh, down at the stoop and it knocked me out quite literally, but then it, I was out for the best part of three to four months. And mm. unfortunately, when you go through that time uh, at the end of my, it was coming towards the end of my contract and I had no, not played a game for four months. Um, and it was kind of, I, the one thing I respect, uh, you know, Rob Baxter was, I asked him, I said, well, where do I stand here? Because I need to play, but at the same time, my contract's up you know, where is the opportunity going to come? And it was literally that season as well that I think Joe Simmons had just come through. Mm. 
And and Rob was very honest with me. It was, it was kind of like it's nothing against you as a player. Well, you've done well, blah blah blah. But you need to go and play, and I can't promise you that's going to be here. And it was kind of enough for me to go right. I need to go um, and, as I say, play regular rugby. And it was kind of that conversation that then led into um, a, a chat with a former teammate of mine, Lee Dixon uh, from Northampton Saints, who was then going to Bedford Blues. Mm. And he just said, "Well, honestly." come down to the championship, come with me and we'll, we'll run the team as a nine and 10 uh, for Bedford Blues. Um, and at the time, I obviously only known the premiership and everything like that. And I was a bit like, I don't really want to, I don't really want to go down. You know, it was, it was almost like swallowing a bit of pride. Um, little did I then know, obviously, just how competitive and how challenging the championship is and, and what a brilliant league it is in its own right. Um but that's how that then happened. And it was a matter of going to the championship that as well, that opened up the avenue to, to get involved with the USA rugby. The USA rugby had been there when I um, was at Exeter, but I didn't want to make the decision to, to be part of that. At the time when I was playing the premiership, you're obviously thinking about naturally, you want to go and play for England. So therefore, actually this whole kind of unfortunate event could be seen as a complete negative, ended up being a massive positive I went to bed for blues and, and I can honestly say the most enjoyable part of my career. Some of the best guys um, that, you know, I, uh, I have as mates now um, and me and my partner and their partners, you know, are all mates. And, and, you know, you, you, you get that from clubs like Bedford blues, it was a massive um, community club, great home atmosphere at Goldington road. And, and I massively enjoyed that. And it was kind of from there with that, I said to myself, well, right, this is the best place for me to be, to build myself, to get into the Rugby World Cup. And then from the Rugby World Cup, I want to move on. I want to push on and whatever. And it happened so that obviously then Saracens came in and it just felt the right time to, to, to move on and going back into what you would perceive as the big league um, with the big team. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how my, my sort of career has gone. I guess, you know, some highs, some lows. And the journey's been as a far from smooth, but at the same time, massively, massively beneficial for me on all accounts. And I think of the things then I have done. Okay, you know, I'd love to have played a hundred times in the Premiership, for example. But then actually, the sides that I played for and the games I played in European Premiership have kind of been so great as well, though. And, and I, so I can't really sort of, you know say I would love so much more of course I'd love more I'd love more international caps but what I've done uh, over that whole period and the variety of things I've done um, you know I guess I'm I'm, I'm pretty proud about uh, proud about and that yeah at the same time of course we want more yeah because it's been such a phenomenal career for you uh, from an early age because you know you've spent uh, your time obviously with England and their setup you know going from 16s to 20s then you play for you know, some of the biggest uh, premiership clubs uh, in English history. Um, and obviously your time with Bedford Blues in the championship uh, as well. And um, I wanted to speak very quickly about, obviously, your, you know, your switch over to the US team. Um, I mean, who is that Who is that one guy or, or a couple of guys or even a few guys that were sort of speaking to you about uh, that sort of opportunity to come across and play and play for the US? Because you mentioned before, um, about how your uh, grandmother is American, right? So 
I mean, that's that's uh, pretty understandable. So, uh, you know, we see a lot of players, you see, uh, you know, playing for different countries, et cetera, because of of their of their roots and their family. So um, which is great, which is really great to see. So um, but I mean, for yourself, was it was it quite weird? Obviously, when you spent your time with England and then now you're playing for a different country, of course, I mean, was it was it quite weird or was it, um, you know, I guess easy for you to sort of transition from one to the other? Well, to, to answer the first part of the question is how it all really came about. Uh, my dad deep down knew that it was that the possibility of playing international rugby for the USA. Um, but it was actually down to when I was playing for Exeter um, six ways, playing Worcester away. And my dad and, and my partner sat next to this couple, just as I say, they, they were just an American couple. And, my, and it's obviously my dad's side of the family where the American connection is from. And, my dad, similar to myself, likes to talk and uh, just literally just ch- talked away. And by the end of it, the, the guy that he was sat next to just turned around and just said, well, you know, why are you here? Who are you watching? And I think I, I came off the bench and had a reasonably good cameo. I don't know. Um, but he literally said that that's, that's my son there. And the, he, this guy was um, a chap called Mark Lamborn, who at the time was on the board of directors for USA Rugby who just so happened to sit next to my dad at Worcester. And it was literally from that, he said, he put two and two together, the guy, and was like, so your son's eligible to play for the US? And my dad was like, well, I guess so. Mm-hmm. So we well, wouldn't mind if I maybe have Will's contact details with probably I'll put him, you know, in touch with whoever. And and I got scouted for like another few months. And and uh, and actually my first conversation with USA Rugby was um, with John Mitchell, who was, who was now England defence coach. Uh, John Mitchell was head coach of the USA at the time. I remember having a, a long FaceTime with him. I actually had a couple of teammates who I played with at Northampton, one in particular, Cam Dolan, uh, who was uh, USA number eight. And I had sort of conversations like, look, you know, I've been given this opportunity and kind of what, what's, what's your thoughts? And obviously he was, you know, painted it in a brilliant way. And I spoke to my family and I said to you about me, moving to Bedford and whether they, they they were still very much positive about me playing regularly in the championship to them enable me to have my international career as well. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's the best decision I've ever done in my career, hands down. Yes, I've become non-English qualified and, and that has maybe hindered me in some opportunities uh, to bounce into a premiership team um, because as I say, they probably want English qualified players. Um, but, you know, for me, the things, the places I've been, the people I've met, the games I've played in, the memories I've had, and ultimately playing in the biggest stage, uh, being a Rugby World Cup, um, America's given me everything. And it's certainly somewhere which I know for me and my partner, we definitely want to get out there as soon as possible. And I definitely would potentially be looking to go out over there for the Major League Rugby, the professional league out there, and, and just experience life, really. That's what the USA Rugby's given me. Yeah, and they've, they've given you a fantastic opportunity. And I guess because of your age right now, you're only 27, I believe, at the moment. So, um, so you've still got a, you know, a bright future ahead of yourself, mate. And uh, you've got a lot of, lot of experience under your belt um, to this day. And, um, you know, for the future, it's looking very promising. So, um, you know, very, very best of luck uh, with the US team and, and with Saracens, of course, uh, the club you're with just now. Um, I speaking of Saracens, actually, I had uh, Juan Pablo Cicino on the podcast uh, not too long ago. And I think it was sometime uh, last year, actually. He was on a, an Instagram live with me one day, and um, 
he was talking about uh, some of the some of the stuff or the, like the drinks that he has from the country that he's born from. And I was like, right, I've got to try one of these, surely, uh, because they, they sound so nice. And uh, but overall, it was um, a really good conversation that I had with him. And um, he must be a great, great teammate to be uh, playing alongside from time to time as well. Um, and uh, I saw um, a fantastic uh, training video. I think it was him, Manu, and uh, a few other guys um, doing like a, a catch uh, practice session. Uh, you know, where you see like these these balls getting flicked off a tennis racket um, and try to catch it with one hand, et cetera. So, um, and it looked really, really good fun uh, overall, as you can tell from the, uh, the group that was involved. So, um, but I guess it's like that with any other team uh, as well. When you do fun for sessions sure. like this, yeah, for sure. No, no, I mean, well, Juan's a, Juan's a great character, in um, you know, in his own right. Um, but uh, no, look, yeah, as I said before, with rugby, um, and rugby's full of characters. Um, <laughs> trust me, it's um, full of the weird and wonderful, as I'd say. Uh, and we're very blessed to be in this environment. And you know, uh, I know, for example, kind of talking what you were saying a bit earlier yeah you know i'll be 28 come the end of the year i've been in professional rugby now for what is it 10 years um and you know yet the potential there is to, to go on for for hopefully longer but at the same time it's the realization that actually um you know the idea of transitioning out of, out of professional sport into the real world um you know i think for us rugby players has to be considered probably sooner or later we don't earn stupid amounts of money and the body has taken its toll. Um, and you've got to think, you know, I'm a massive believer in wanting to leave on my own terms. You know, does playing at 36, um, you know, make logical sense to me? Probably not, you know. So I'm more focused about what I can do over the next few years. I've said I want to get to the World Cup, wanted to be, want to be with that culture, um, which, you know, is a great, I love being with those US lads and we have a really good culture. Uh, doing my best, obviously, with Saracens and, and obviously hoping to get promoted and and then we'll, we'll see where the road takes me uh, and like i say i can definitely see myself see me have a partner moving out to the states to definitely play out there and for me giving back to usa rugby kind of what they've given me mm. uh, and trying to grow the game out there even more i feel that's kind of like my um my, my reason to be playing professional rugby if i'm honest um and so yeah look we, you know we, we we shall see but uh for the moment i'm very fortunate where I am and uh and I guess lucky with what I do yeah for sure um and uh I wanted to talk obviously very quickly about your your debut for the U.S. which I think was back in uh 2018 now I believe um uh against Canada and it was a 29-10 victory for yourselves uh that day so that was a very good uh moment for your for yourselves but um how did you how did you sort of deal with the nerves that day uh, you know, I think you start. I think you were starting on the bench that game, and you came off uh, uh, and onto the pitch. Then, so how did you try and deal with the nerves? Obviously, play on you know biggest international stage. You're playing for the US uh, first time that day. Um, your family must have been so happy, so over the moon, seeing you you know run out on the pitch and, and do your thing. So, yeah, well, I was probably fortunate actually. The week before we we played Argentina. But because it's Argentina, it's basically Argentina A team, not their mm. first team, although they're still very good. Um, that was part of this America Rugby Championship. That first game was not capped 
Um, but that was in Los Angeles. That was at the StubHub Arena, which is where the LA Galaxy play. And that was incredible. Um, I mean, it was actually weird that that wasn't my first cap because I kind of felt like, you know, there I was. I was playing in Los Angeles at the LA Galaxy StubHub Arena um, in this most incredible atmosphere. It was, it was dry. Um, it, was, it was pretty hot. Um, and yeah, bag of nerves. But then, it, yeah, equally then going into that Canada game, knowing it was my first cap, knowing it was a USAV Canada game. And I can't tell you how those USA Canada games form um, you know, the names on the team sheet. They go out the window. It is literally two massive, it's a massive rivalry. Two teams that go go up against each other uh, in that North American sort of um, big showdown. Uh, and yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I guess it was the element of just, this is where I wanted to be. It's the same when I was, you know, bag of nerves throughout the World Cup when we played England the first game. It was kind of the realisation in the tunnel beforehand, like, this is what it's about. You know, this is what it's about in front of the crowd, on the big stage, singing the national anthem, wearing the shirt with pride. And now I say for that first cap, all my family are up there, mum, dad, and my partner. And uh, that was pretty special to have that. And that memory all together, not just for me as well. And I said this on, on the podcast, on many other podcasts that I've done with uh, USA players, uh, specifically women's players. Um, I said to them that, you know, US is like one of the one of the best anthems in the world because, I mean, you see everyone lined up together, you know, bound onto each other, you know, holding their arm over the, over the logo, et cetera, because it means so much to them. And they, you know, sing it so passionately and, and so, uh, you know, they're super excited when they come to game day and they know that they're going to be playing really, really tough uh, physical rugby against other international teams as well. But I, I think it's one of the best anthems uh, in the world. So I, I think I agree with you as well, Ali. I, I think, you know, um, no disrespect to God save the Queen. It's, um, it's a bit short. It's a bit rubbish. And as a tune, you know, mm. I'm not saying anything against the words but um yeah look you know the american national anthem is americans are very patriotic and and i feel very patriotic singing it if i'm going to be honest um you know i've had some some brilliant places all over the world where we've we've sung it and um i'll never forget when we played the new zealand maori at, at soldier field where the chicago um, bears play um massive stadium there was a big crowd there and and um hearing that national anthem being belted out, you know, was uh, emotional in, in many aspects. And I do think it is quite an emotional um, anthem. So, um, yeah, it's a good one to sing before the game. You get into it, but that way. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, now, I want to speak about how much kicking practice that you do from time to time, because um, I think in one of the games, the recent games, I saw you, it was a, like, you know, match highlights of game, uh, etc. So, and I saw that you were kicking a lot. So uh, just a quick question, just out of curiosity, how many times a week do you practice kicking leading up to a game? Oh, I think it can vary because, you know, one thing I've learned with kicking is you've got to listen to your body. You know, if you just kick every day, 100 balls every day, you know, your groin uh, and your back are probably going to be not in the, the best way possible. And Unfortunately, with rugby, it's not just kicking. You've got to do many other things. Um, but I would say on average, we're probably, you know, us as kickers, we're probably kicking about three times a week. And how we sort of deal with that is maybe sort of technical aspects at the beginning of the week. And that flows more into sort of getting that feeling so that by the time you sort of hit the captain's run day before the game, you, 
you feel good about yourself. It's a rhythm rather than you thinking about, well, I need to be in this position, but needs to be there. Uh, need to get that strike. It's literally just about, you know, no, this is just a nice fluid feel getting that good strike on the ball. So yeah, that's kind of how it works for us as I think as majority of kickers throughout the week. Um, Cause you know, we see a lot of, you know, uh, international kickers, uh, you know, placing the ball on the tee and then they, then they come back, you know, however, however many paces they choose to do could be three, could be five, could be more or could be less. Uh, and then they sort of go to the side one or two paces, but it's not just about that. It's all about trying to make sure that the ball's in the right line and, you know, going through the post. And because I, I think I saw a, uh, a kicking masterclass by Owen Farrell um, on BT Sport one day. Um, this was many years back. And he was talking us, uh, talking to the viewers about like what his routine is when he puts the ball on the cone and he, he, sorry, the tee and he walks back and gets himself lined up correctly. But what what's it like for you from the moment you put the ball down? What's, what's, it, what's going through your head at that stage? Um, you know, I, I think uh, for everyone is different. Um, you're really just trying to think about your process. But at the same time, as I said before, is about just getting that fe- feeling. I mean, the best times that I've kicked has probably been that times where I don't really think too much. Probably the times when I haven't kicked as well and, and maybe just, you know, not quite hit the ball as well as when you are just thinking that bit too much. You're sort of second guessing yourself, if that makes sense. Um, so... You know, I think whatever it is for any kicker, whatever gets you in that right mind frame, whatever gets that flow, that rhythm. And then and then ultimately, you know, the ball takes care of itself in many, many aspects. So, um, yeah, we're all different, but um, I try and be as sort of calm and collective as possible to, as I say, get that that feeling and get that strike. So um, how many times, this is probably a similar question to the one I asked you before, but how many times a week leading up to a game day do you split you know you have your nines and tens or or nines tens and twelves maybe uh what sort of processes do do you guys go through uh you know a day or two before before a game yeah i mean we're, we're absolutely split well backs and forwards being being obviously the the key split we'll have our set sessions at least two or three sessions uh, where we just be as backs and forwards getting an understanding as to how we want to play moves we want to run how we're going to defend and stuff like that um and then obviously nines and tens will have separate meetings as will centers as will the backfield before sort of coming together and sort of making sure we're all on the same page you know we're, we're different sort of mini teams within the team so ultimately you, you want to have good communication within your mini team but at the same time you don't want to be in a different sort of page compared to another mini team because then obviously that'll be the the ruining of a, of a game plan. So um, yeah, as much as we are sort of kept to, you know, in those sort of um, small groups, it's ultimately about then coming together as a whole team. And the, the last question I was going to ask you was uh, just before we move into the quick fire questions, which is also uh, good fun to do towards the end of uh, any interview I've done before. Uh, but um, uh, the last one I was going to ask you was what, in your honest opinion, what are the biggest differences between um, international rugby and club rugby? Um, I think it's, it's obviously the realisation of results matter massively, but it's almost about, in international rugby, it's about really who makes the least mistakes, which I always cringe when I say that because it shouldn't be. Rugby should be about, you know, how you're going to attack and whatever. And it absolutely is that. 
but the level of detail, but more importantly, the margin for error uh, in international rugby is so small. You make a mistake and it could end up being seven points, quite simple as that. Meanwhile, maybe at club rugby, it, it may not be, um, in my experience. Um, and as I say, I, I, I just think that's the biggest thing it is just, you know, how well you can pull together and make the detail, the fine detail international rugby be successful, joining the dots well. It sounds boring, but it really is. And I think that's the ultimately the difference is those, those fine margins. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're, they're so different, aren't they? They're, they're not the same thing. They're, they're very completely different. I mean, playing international rugby is... is so competitive uh, compared to club level because, you know, you're playing against the best uh, players within a certain country. So, um, and it must be crazy knowing that, you know, you have to take your game to another level, so to speak, uh, compared to what you usually do with club uh, rugby as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, to be fair, the club rugby, the club rugby I've played in the, in the very fortunate organisations I've been at, being at the top of that club rugby, it's it's completely pretty much the same, if I'm honest. Um, you have to be at that top level. You have to remain focused. Um, and that international, I think that the word international, the playing for the country, it just brings on that added bit of pressure, that added weight uh, expectation. Uh, and it's about then, therefore, you know, how do you cope with that? Um, great thing about us with the US is, yeah, we have that absolutely in games where we um, want to go out there and win. But there's other games where we're probably the underdogs. And I love that feeling. Uh, and a good few times we've come on top. I remember when we had a massive win against Scotland in 2018, uh, which was huge. And, and I feel that that was, you know, big pressure and expectation on Scotland, the fine margins as I talked about. And for us, we just let rip. We literally just, you know, didn't care. And, um, and ultimately for us, we, we were the ones that probably made the least mistakes and, and capitalise on the chances that we got. Yeah. Um, well, we've um, we've got some quick fire questions here to finish off with. Um, it's been a great conversation so far and this will this will top it off for sure, for sure. But uh, um, are you ready, first and foremost? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crack on. Um, don't worry, they're, they're not too difficult. Uh, just to let you know, just to make sure that you're prepared uh, <laughs> for it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, this will be good fun. It'll be uh, a chance for the viewers to get to know you a little bit more with these as well. So, um, okay, first one is, who is the toughest player you've played against so far? Um, I think in terms of um, best player, I think would be Danny Cipriani. And I remember playing for Northampton uh, against him. He was playing for sale. Um, the stuff that he could do, the strings that he pulled were, were, were incredible. So I'll probably go, yeah, there's more not, the best player, I'd probably say the best player that I thought playing against. What about internationally? Uh, gosh, um, yeah, there's been, there's been a few. Um, I've got to probably, I've got to pick probably someone like George Ford. I thought when we played in, played England at the World Cup, he had the ball on, on a string um, and just made everything look so simple, so easy. And I was, I was playing 15 and, constantly worried that he would just ping the ball into a corner um mm. and then the next thing you know he's just put someone into space you know so he's incredibly talented playmaker and i really think he was probably at his best at that 2019 world cup um who was your role model growing up 
Oh, no doubt for a lot of you know, youngsters of my age, particularly in my position, um, Johnny Wilkinson. You know, I think, well, I started rugby when I was five years old, but that infamous World Cup win in 2003 was sort of the impetus that gave me that I want to be a rugby player. And, hmm. and Wilkinson, obviously, the way he conducted himself, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch as well, was kind of, you know, the... The, the boyhood dream was to be like Johnny. And um, yeah, for sure, he was definitely my idol growing up. Well, I'm not just saying this, but he was my idol as well growing up. Yeah, there days. you go, yeah. Because like literally, I, I watched that moment in the World Cup and I was like, he's done so, you know, so many people you know, really happy. He's made really uh, a lot of people happy that stage. Uh, I had books. Uh, he made like autobiographies uh, when I was like, I think 15 or 16, maybe at the time. Um, and he was one of those players that set a good example for other, you know, youngsters wanting to come up and and be in his shoes one day. Because I don't think ever in his career he got either yellow carded or sent off. Uh, no, I don't know. To be honest, um, uh, it's a bit easier to get a yellow and red card these days. <laughs> but uh, but no, I don't think he did. No, he really was the sort of uh, the proper role model. Um. What do you store in your kit bag on a game day? Oh, I'm pretty basic, to be honest. Um, again, at the, the professional level, we're very lucky in that most of your stuff is actually kind of there at the game. So you only need to bring really, you know, your um, well, the stuff that you're wearing uh, is what you probably get changed into afterwards anyway. So a wash bag, boots, gum shields, uh, my protective gear as well, and that's it, really. It's yeah, it can all get into a rucksack in the way I go. Just standard, eh? That's that's what I like to see from. Yeah, the no, it's quite humble. Yeah, there's no there's no yeah. special this, no special that. Um, just uh, yeah, the, the the necessities. That's the word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, how would your friends describe you? Ah, uh, jeez. Um, I would say, how would they describe me? That's a good question, isn't it? Because you never really think of that. Uh, how, would they, how would they describe you as a as a rugby player first? As a rugby player, um, I like to think people would describe me as, as hardworking. Um, that, that would be the thing which would be, if someone described me that, then that would be brilliant. Um, I know that I'm not necessarily the most talented or, or being the most successful, but I'd like to think I've been pretty hardworking and, I've been blessed probably that I've got quite a good engine. So, you know, I try and use it, try and get around the pitch. And and then I would say, you, I try and use my voice, you know, yeah, hard work and use my voice. Um, sometimes probably a bit annoying, but hopefully most of the time it's uh, done in a good way. What about um, away from rugby? Uh, what, how people would describe me? Or Yeah, what, yeah. What, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to ask my partner that. She'll know the best. Um, <laughs> No, I think, you know, I, um, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy the outdoors as much as anything, but not so much. I, I can't stand camping or anything like that, but we've got a Cocker Spaniel and I love getting out and about. And I've actually, the, the lockdown, me and my partner have spent a lot of time just like, you know, going on walks and now, you know, we regularly, other than obviously walking the dog, but, um, go out in the evenings and just walk around and, I don't know, you always feel like you have your best conversations and catch up properly rather than just sitting down watching the TV. Um, so, yeah, no, I love my golf um, and I love just, as I say, getting out and socialising for sure. Um, what is your most treasured possession? My dog. 
It has to be your dog, eh? <laughs> Done. Yeah, it can't be your phone or your laptop. It has to be your like uh, your dog for sure. No, there's without a shadow of doubt. That is, that was the easiest one to answer. <laughs> um, what is your favorite? Speaking of gadgets, what is your favorite gadget? Oh, good question. Annoyingly, I probably have to say my phone because I feel like these days you can't not have your phone. I know those people say, "Oh, they shut down social media for a week," or they. You know, have times where they don't look at their phone, but um, I don't know. There's an element of I enjoy, I enjoy having a scroll, I enjoy just seeing what the world's up to, um, enjoy catching up with my mates. I mean, we talked about it earlier with mental health. You know, it's so important to to you know text and see how someone is or give someone a call. So um, yeah, I would have to say my phone is my my favorite gadget. Unfortunately, um, are you a night owl or an early riser? Um, I'm probably more of an early riser. And again, having a dog will probably ingrain that into you. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like majorly towards that, but yeah, I, um, I like, if I'm going to be productive in a day, it's going to be in the morning, you know, or, or early afternoon. Um, I've got some friends who their best time is kind of around that, you know, half eight to, to half 12 at night. Um, and they, uh, yeah, which is strange, but yeah, each their own. But I would say, yeah, the morning is when I'm probably at my best. Um, do you have any nicknames? Oh, my word, <laughs> loads, really. Uh, I say loads, actually. Obviously, standard one, Hulls, Hooli, The Who, um, Captain America. Uh, I've had when I was at uh, Northampton. I there was a there's a guy that used to call me um, Monty Burns. Oh no, well the but Mr. Burns and the character of The Simpsons because I was a skinny posh kid, uh, which is hilarious looking back at it. Uh, so um, and then Will ended up being obviously like Waylon. So I actually got, got called um, as I got bigger. I got called like Smithers uh in the in, when i was in the northampton academy um uh, yeah. and for some boys i say who i've known from northampton days we all still call each other our kind of our nicknames which is which is funny um but no unfortunately i've probably stayed away from anything too too horrific put it that way yeah. um if you could invite free uh, dinner guests around to your house one night who would they be my word. Um, part of me would love to meet Donald Trump. I d I'm just fascinated to know exactly what he is and what's he, what he's about. Um, who else would I be fascinated to, to, to meet? Um, gosh. I, I'd probably, I'll, I'll stick maybe with the US president, president theme and I'll go, uh, Barack Obama would be another one that I'd be absolutely like, just really interested to, to, to hear his kind of views and stuff um who else would i be really interested to i think one of my favorite sports people has got to be roger federer i just think he's just you know the way he conducts himself the effortlessness of his tennis but also he just seems like a very cool and calm customer so i'd probably have to go with someone like him to keep a, a sportsman on the table as well yeah uh, absolutely 100 um and my last question was, if you weren't a professional rugby player, what other sport would you be wanting to do instead? 
of the sport or just in general in anything um, other, sport? other sport let's go other sport let's go other sport well I was very I, I was a keen cricketer when I was playing you know when I was growing up sorry and I really played cricket all the way through until about 16 a reasonably you know all right level so county level uh, but then obviously chose to sort of niche into rugby so I probably have to think I'd be a cricketer but then I always think there's sometimes in the summer where golf's going well but oh you know, maybe golf's the way forward. But then the next day if I play, I'm usually terrible. So, uh, yeah, it w- I would love to be a, a golfer, but mm. I think realistically it would probably have been cricket, the one I would have gone down. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, thank you so much, Will. Um, that's all the questions I've got uh, for you tonight. And I really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking with us. And uh, we're now both part of the Looseheads uh, Academies, or set up, I should say now. So, um and uh, we look forward to, I guess, having you on some more podcasts in the future. And uh, I'd be delighted to have you back on this one as well in the near future. I'd, I'd be delighted to have you back on. So, um, but uh, yeah, enjoy your week. Uh, and obviously, good luck uh, with the US team and, and of course, with Saracens as well. Um, and uh, we'll see you back on here very, very soon. Thank you so much, mate. Cheers, Ali. Thank you very much.